Hey everybody, this is Robbie, and on this podcast, I am lucky to have colorist Juan Salvo. Juan is a good friend of Mixing Light and a good friend of mine, and he's agreed to talk to us about kind of the perspective of a colorist when it comes to HDR. Juan, how are you doing, man? Good. I agreed to this? You did agree to I mean, I forced you into it a little bit, but then, uh, yes, you ultimately agreed to it. <laughs> you, I believe you're holding my family hostage. <laughs> That's true. That is true. But uh, after the successful completion of this podcast, I will I will let them go. Um, so, Juan, yeah, excellent. So, Juan, I, um, the members here on Mixing Light uh, now know that I am just starting my exploration of, uh, of HDR. I have a, a museum project that's coming up, and uh, you know I, I've got a Sony HDR monitor on loan, and I'm kind of you know trying to absorb as much information about HDR as I possibly can. But like a lot of things, I'm a little slow on the uptake, so it's kind of confusing. It's kind of a lot of you know standards and lots of math. And if there's anybody I know that can kind of decode all this in kind of layman speak for uh, for the colorist, uh, that is you. So I guess let's start with this question. Um, what is HDR? I mean, I think that uh, a lot of people know HDR from like a photography standpoint of kind of blending exposures together. Right. But when we're talking about video HDR, that's kind of a different beast altogether. Yeah. Uh, Tell us a little bit what's going on there. HDR in photography is really about compressing dynamic range. It's about having like a bigger, a bigger dynamic range than the display sort of compressed down into the display. And so you often have to make those decisions about how you compress that dynamic range. And so you end up with that, the famous kind of HDR look, the HDR photography look, which is that sort of like posterized look where you have like, you know, these very, uh, stark differences between, uh, luminance levels from different, uh, parts of the image you have a sky that's kind of that's darker than it should be in a foreground that's maybe brighter than it should be and it looks sort of hyper real sure and uh it's a lot of local contrast and uh but hdr when we're talking about in terms of display technology and this new sort of uh, hdr push is really about uh the opposite it's about making the display have a bigger dynamic range so hdr in photography is about taking an extended exposure range and bringing it down to the compressed display range and hdr in terms of display is about taking uh existing pipelines and turn ter- existing displays and turning them giving them more dynamic range making them uh perform brighter gotcha so would uh would another way of being you know kind of saying that dynamic range is that the displays are, are able to show us more contrast right the contrast ratio on the displays is expanded yeah i mean well there's a there's a sort of floor with like lcd displays for example there's a sort of floor on uh how uh dark we can make uh lcd displays right black yeah and uh but but so the, the only way then to kind of increase contrast range is to increase white right so you make white higher mm-hmm, it's, mm-hmm. it makes the contrast range greater i think in oled it's a little it's a little more subjective because whether or not it effectively increases contrast because effectively i mean from a technical perspective sort of oleds have kind of infinite contrast and in that the blacks are actually zero like black yeah, yeah. sure so uh, you know you can say you could say that an hdr oled display and a sdr oled display are both the same contrast because they're both kind of this infinite contrast device, but that's a little bit more theoretical than <laughs> practical. Gotcha, gotcha. So you know, as I've started this exploration, learning a little bit about HDR, I've been you know staying up late reading white papers and you know talking to folks like yourself. I just uh, completed a podcast with uh, Brom from FSI talking a little bit about the display side of things. And I guess one of the things that's a little confusing, and I want to get, you know, kind of your perspective uh, uh, as a colorist on this, is that right now it seems like there's a lot of kind of competing 
you know, kind of, you know, theories and kind of proposals that go into HDR. Of course, we have, you know, kind of the Simti, um, I think it's 2084 is their recommendation, you know, kind of that's a, that's a spinoff of the Dolby Vision thing or, mm-hmm. you know, vice yep. versa. PQ. Yep. Yeah, yeah, the PQ curve. And then we have, you know, kind of uh, a new kind of recommendation from uh, the BBC and NHK about HLG. Yeah, HLG sort of seems like the most compelling one right now in terms of momentum. And it's sort of, it's just a little later in the game. To, it just kind of came into it a little bit later than the other ones. Um, it's it, it, All of these things are really kind of about kind of the, the sort of philosophical approach like how are you going to encode content for these for these displays but the but they don't really they don't really dictate the terms of the display the display itself is still is still it's a question of how bright the display is able to get from a physical point of view well so it seems to me that like you know researching this that into in a large part the simti and dolby vision approach is kind of you know it's kind of based on metadata right so we have we kind of know what the display is doing um, and, you know, you could argue that there's a whole, you know, licensing scheme kind of involved with this whole thing from Dolby. Um, but, you know, the, there's a metadata exchange back and forth where my understanding of HLG is that this is kind of a, a proposal that will say, hey, you know what? We don't really care what kind of display you have. Uh, we'll scale because we're having this hybrid log gamma approach. Uh, and it's basically saying, hey, look, we're going to display one. We're going to put out one stream of content there. And we'll display this on your display based on the characteristics of that display where it seems like Dolby Vision is kind of saying, no, 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 no. We need to know exactly what your display is doing uh, and we need to exchange this metadata back and forth. Do you see with, you know, the kind of these competing things, one ultimately winning out for everybody or do you kind of see like maybe HLG for the consumer, Dolby Vision for, you know, kind of the, the pro post market, you know, and, you know, higher end release? How do you see that? Man, I tell you, if uh, if uh, if I if I could tell you that, I wouldn't have bought all those Betamax players back in the eighties. <laughs> I, um, I think it's much it's much more complicated than I think uh, than um, than it sounds actually, and it sounds complicated already, right? But the thing that it, it, a lot of this has to do with, and, and you kind of uh, hinted at this, is the idea of pipelines and, and existing pipelines and existing architecture for, for devices. Um, so if we want to propagate HDR as a kind of consumer, available consumer medium, uh, today, the only way you can really get HDR content at home, and there are HDR displays, by the way, available you can buy right now. Um, the only way you can get that HDR content at home is from st- streaming sources. And that's because the streaming sources can kind of are basically end-to-end solutions, right? The, the, the stream uh, owner and the, and in this case, the display have collaborated and come up with a standard between themselves to affect that pipeline. Um, what, what these proposals are really about is like, how do we, how do we standardize across multiple devices, across multiple manufacturers, and across multiple uh, delivery mechanisms? And that gets really, really complicated because what we're effectively talking about is actually uh, we're, we're objectively talking about two different, uh, uh, entirely different signals, right? You're talking about one signal that's characteristic of like the standard definition or standard uh, dynamic range displays. And another signal that would be characteristic of these uh, high dynamic range displays. And the two are not necessarily compatible. And so you can take the approach of uh, what uh, what uh, Dolby has proposed, which is basically a kind of a sidecar metadata approach, which basically has, has a base encoding that is backward compatible, and then a, a sidecar enhancing uh, 
uh, channel that will uh, give you the additional uh, range of the HDR content. Uh, or you have something like the HGL approach or HLG approach, which is let's have one stream that's easily convertible. And so their approach is basically to have a very kind of, um, it's a, it's a kind of a, a strange curve, but it makes a lot of sense when you start looking at it from a technical perspective. But basically a curve that is really easy to convert. In this case, all you have to do is basically gain it, double gain it, in order to get a, a signal that can be compatible with existing standard dynamic range displays. Yeah, my understanding of HLG in that technical standpoint is that the kind of the, the hybrid part comes in and that the bottom part of the curve Correct. is just like a, it's just like a regular it's gamma curve. It's pretty much curve, existing right? gamma curve. It's sort of like, I mean, if you're familiar with like the Sony cameras, they were like the, the, the gamma... The Sony Gamma uh, 3, like the, not the, I'm um, sorry, not the Log Gamma, but the uh, Hyper Gamma settings. Right, right. Those are kind of like what this is, which is a, it's a normal curve up to a point, and then it becomes a very soft log curve. Rhythmic curve on the upper, upper part, right. I got right. you. All right, so so let's, um let, let me ask you another question about this, um, kind of changing gears a little bit into, into the grading chair, into the grading suite when you have this stuff come across. I think one of the, the things that might be confusing to a lot of people, and to be honest with you, the first time I was asked of, you know, the question, well, where are the HDR cameras? I was a little confused. <laughs> obviously, I know, obviously, I know now that, um, you know, these sensors are already recording 12, 13, 14, 15 stops of, of, uh, you know, of dynamic range. Or, or 300 it- stops if you ask certain manufacturers. Right. Exactly. <laughs> so I guess from, you know, from, from somebody who manipulates images every single day, is it literally just, this is a monitor thing. This is the peak brightness of the monitor. That's all that really matters. Or are, I mean, are we really kind of, what, what's the, what's the, the litmus test of what is HDR? Is it the number of stops that a sensor is able to record? Is it just simply the peak brightness of the monitor? From a, from a color standpoint of view, it's got to be a little bit of both, right? That's a good question. Um, it, it gets a little complicated because uh, part of it is what, what part of it is detail and like how much information you actually have, and part of it is also like what do you want the audience experience to be, right? Like sometimes when we're grading stuff, even in standard definition, or, or sorry, I keep saying standard definition, but standard dynamic range, SDR, SDR, yeah, sure, got it. We yeah. um, we make adjustments to sort of clip values or limit the peak brightness in a scene that's actually well well below the available peak brightness, right? Like not every scene has zero to a hundred uh, IRE values inside of the scene. Of course not, right? Yeah, of course not. And yeah. and sometimes we'll even take values that actually in the camera will extend well above it we'll have something on shot on alexa for example and we'll have like a light in the scene and the light will be you know heading up into 100 or maybe even over once it's been converted to um rec 709 and we take those values and actually bring them down to like 75 because relative to what else is going on in the scene we don't actually want it to be that bright and we don't want to draw the eye to that much that much or you know we make decisions to sort of clip signals uh constantly and these are subjective artistic creative decisions right same rules are going to apply in HDR. And so I think when when it was sort of initially conceived and when Dolby kind of proposed it, uh, the idea was basically like this would be kind of like a trim pass or there might be some automated processes that you could do to sort of make these decisions. I think in in practice, what's turned out to be the case is that often the decisions that you're making in one version are actually kind of very different from the decisions that you're making in another version. And it really has to do with sort of the artistic or creative direction of the scene. I think the HDR that works best that I've seen 
that's effective is stuff that feels motivated by what's going on in the scene, what's going on practically in, in the image, and isn't overwhelming to the viewer. Um, you know, if you're having a, if you have a outdoor scene, the idea is not to recreate wor- real world physics, right? We don't need a 40,000 nit display because <laughs> we're not trying to recreate 40,000 nits of daylight light. Um, right. we, what we want to do is create the impression or the, or the, uh, perception of of the impression that we want to make on the audience, and so that often means something that's much less intense than what is actually represented. On top of that, there's there's the sort of more important there's medical issues, right? There's like what's going to be uh, cause strain or be unpleasant to the viewer, and this is always kind of very dangerous in new technologies and emerging technologies where you we have. We have certain technologies where we have the ability to very effectively and very quickly cause discomfort or a, 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 a illness-inducing experience in the viewer. Um, it 3D comes to mind. You know, when I, in the early days of 3D, yeah, of when course. we're doing alignment and doing kind of geometry adjustments, I, there were certain uh, tweaks I could make that if you were looking at a display through a pair of 3D glasses, I could instantly give you a headache, or I, or more often, give myself a headache, and. And you learn that lesson very, very quickly. Like, don't look through the glasses until you're confident that it's somewhere in the ballpark of where you want the 3D to be. It's going to be the same thing with the HDR. You know, don't flip on the HDR mode and don't don't go crazy on the HDR mode pushing 3,000 nits when you're just going to hurt your eye and strain yourself trying to look into the shadows. So what you're kind of – if I can re- re- kind of interpret what you're saying there or reiterate what you're saying is that basically – uh, very akin to the kind of 3D approach that's that you might do your, your initial grade kind of in, you know, SDR mode, if you will. Uh, and then maybe flip over to an HDR mode to kind of, you know, get those, those brightest portions kind of in line. Is that where you're kind I of wish that I could advocate that, but I feel like the, the way you would approach an SDR grade and the way you are approach an HDR grade are uh, often going to be very different. And so I think the, I think what's really going to happen is what we're going to end up doing is sort of starting from a very safe place with the HDR grade and kind of seeing if we can push it up a little bit more. So you start from a kind of a 200 nit kind of peak, uh, brightness place and then, and then you start kind of inching your way up into 400 nits and 800 nits and on. All right. So from a, from a, from a creative point of view, um, you know, uh, where do you think that, uh, you know, colorists are going to kind of push this? Like if you, if you had a project today and somebody says, you know what, I want to get the most out of HDR from, from a creative standpoint, where, are, where, what are you doing? Where are you, where is your mind going in terms of how to exploit this technology to get the most out of it? Is it literally just in, you know, kind of these specular highlights? Or are you kind of trying to do more, uh, with the tools that you have at your Well, disposal? the first question I have is where is this being displayed today? Right? Like, so today that is a question that we have to ask because it's not widespread yet. So the question is who's looking at this and where are they looking at it? And if they're looking at it in a dim environment, I'm going to really want to kind of play with the contrast. That's really where I'm going to live. I want to have, I want to have like, uh, if I have a, for example, a candle lit scene, I want to get the, the specular highlight and those candles like pop in towards peak there a little bit, but just, just a few pixels. You know, I just want a little bit of kind of that feel of the brightness. So if you're looking at uh, staring straight into candlelight, you feel the brightness. But I'm really going to, what I'm, re- where I'm really going to shine is being able to play in the shadows because what's going to happen with that peak brightness being at, say, 600 nits or 800 nits is that then I'm starting to play with stuff at, you know, 14 nits or 12 nits that seem on a 100 nit display seem relatively bright. 
Here it's going to seem much lower. It's going to, that contrast is going to seem higher and it's going to give me the ability to have a sort of more informed shadow side to the scene so we can have more detail in the shadows and still get the sense of we're, we're in a dimly lit scene. And so it's going to give you the, the ability to have a more, I think, nuanced play with shadows in certain scenes. Now that is completely content dependent because in the next scene we could have like a bright daylight scene that's outdoors and there everything's already playing in a very bright space right and so there i might not be really taking advantage of hdr so much i might set peak brightness at instead of 600 or 800 nits i might set the peak brightness at you know 200 nits with maybe a little bit of like some direct shine specularness bumping up a little bit but you know it's going to be at 200 nits and then most of my content is going to be around that 100 nit mark and it's going to feel brighter than the stuff that was playing around the 14 nits in the previous scene but the overall brightness of the overall impressions of the viewer is still going to be very fluid gotcha all right so let's change gears just real quick from sort of brightness and contrast over to color portion of this right so um all the demos that i've seen so far um, have uh, been showcasing kind of two things. They've been showcasing HDR, and they've also kind of been showcasing Rec 2020. Um, you know, kind of a lot of the initial math around all of this is built around 2020. And I understand from talking to, to, to display manufacturers and talking to other folks that, you know, technically there's really no reason that you can't have HDR at, you know, Rec 2020. Uh, and, and given there's there's some talk about, you know, Maybe splitting the difference for consumers, um, having something like, you know, a P3 as a gamut, uh, for HDR because it's bigger than seven or nine, but hey, you know what? Right now we can't do Rex, uh, 2020, uh, entirely, you know, 100% unless you do, you know, a laser projector or something. So from, uh, from your opinion, um, how does, how does this 2020 stuff play into it? Are we kind of managing two things at the same time? And is that kind of dangerous? Uh, or like, you know, if I'm, if you're starting a new HDR project today, are you grading in 2020, uh, you know, and kind of just realizing that things that are exceeding that gamut probably just kind of clip and you kind of just have to deal with it. How, how, what's your opinion of kind of the state of 2020 with HDR, whether we should be doing it or maybe we should be doing some, something well, else? Well, I've always thought, and I think I've said before that I think Red, Rec 2020 is more, uh, hypothetical than practical, right? It's a theoretical, it's more of a theoretical, it's a, it really is a display built, a display f uh, standard built on the idea of let's imagine where this technology will go and not where it is or where it could be in the near future. And it's aspirational. And so, um, it, uh, my, my thinking on Rec 2020 has always been that we're going to be, we're, we're always, we're going to be dealing with a subset of the full gamut, uh, in most, uh, with most content and most, uh, uh displays. And, and I still think that that's the case. I think, I, th I think if you think of, um, to me, the classic kind of really saturated, uh, image, images like the, uh, the red, red stoplight, you know, like a, a red, or the taillight on a car. And, uh, and often you'll see like on a, a camera like an Alexa or an F55, uh, when you, when you have footage that has this stuff, you will see that there is in fact information in that uh, deeply saturated red and you can pull it in and pull it back and kind of manipulate it and bring it down. It becomes this kind of, you can make it orange and it will look uh, like it has detail and it has information there. But it also looks really kind of natural in a kind of blown out way. You usually want to kind of split the difference. You want to get to, uh, like that density of saturation and maybe in the process lose a little bit, a little bit of detail, but you get the perception of this like bright red, uh, 
uh, shiny tail light, what you don't want to have is the the bright red tail light that's so bright that it's going white, right? Like that's the classic digital issue. Clipping, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, clipping to white, but versus clipping to pure red, and so. But I think the clipping to pure red is still going to is okay. It's not to me. It doesn't seem wrong necessarily, and I think to most of the view audience, it's like you're you're kind of expecting that. So I, I, I mean, I think that's still going to be the case in with these HDR displays, even those that attempt to do some permutation of Rec 2020 or some portion of Rec 2020. It's going to be a, it's going to be a more limited gamut, but it's going to give you that ability to push to push that red a little bit further. So if you encode for Rec 2020 and you in fact take the red, you know, out to or near the um, uh, uh, perimeter of the gamut, so that you're closer to the primary, uh, on those displays they'll probably clip. Some portion. If they're doing it right, they're going to clip on some portion. Otherwise, they're going to end up very desaturated looking. And uh, and I think that that's going to be uh, sort of acceptable. I think it would be nice if, as part of that spec, we had included uh, information about how the display should handle out of gamut errors. And we didn't. Um, we did include information about how what that what that color actually represents, like not just where it, where it is the in terms of uh, XY value, but also what uh, spectrally what it should be, which is really useful. So, you know, I, one of the things I, I'm curious about is maybe a sort of, uh, pardon the term, but a hybrid approach to the color gamut as well, right? You know, so there's been people out there that have said, hey, uh, you know, maybe something like, you know, P3 instead of full 2020, and at least P3 is bigger than uh, you know, bigger than Rec. Seven or Nine, and it seems like to me a lot of displays can do, uh, you know, more of P3 than they can do Rec. Twenty Twenty. Um, what do you think? Do you think something like a, a middle ground approach like that is something that we'll ultimately see, or do you think we'll just kind of go with what you just said, kind of like, nope, it's Twenty Twenty, and we'll just kind of accept the clipping? That's well, coming. my personal opinion is that the um, that the way to do it isn't isn't to say we're going to use this smaller gamut, but to say we're going to we're going to accept this portion of the bigger gamut so that the, the data we're producing and the and the space that we're working in is large enough to support the the higher gamut devices as they come out but we're not going to be operating under the expectation that 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 every display is going to be able to perform that but in the world we we live in today in terms of consumer land uh those displays are wildly performing wildly different and calibrated wildly differently and or not calibrated at all but set up wildly differently and so you know we're not we're not living in a world where you know uh, people are getting 709 today i you know like and so and tomorrow we're not going to be living in a world that people are getting 2020 and but but uh, hopefully 2020 is a step towards display manufacturers owning up to let's represent what the display can actually do rather than pretending the display is doing something that it's not. One of my last questions here, Juan, is related to kind of the idea of multipurpose deliverables, right? So, you know, you and I have both done projects where, hey, you know, it's P3 for theatrical, but then we're releasing, you know, the broadcast, you know, uh, and Blu-ray, you know, 7 or 9 version. What what are people going to do? What are colorists going to do when they have graded something that is HDR, and then the next thing you know that they need to deliver it SDR? And kind of related, what is someone to do if they master at, I don't know, let's just pick a number out of a hat. Let's just say, you know, 2,000 nits. 
what are they going to do when that deliverable uh, happens to be 500 nits? Um, are we doing trim passes? Are we looking at some sort of, you know, lookup table or some other automated way of making these conversions? What's kind of your opinion on that kind of, uh, that kind of thing from a workflow standpoint? Well, uh, I, well, what's my opinion, or what, <laughs> what's the reality? Well, my, yeah, what's what, what's I mean, reality? My opinion, yeah. my opinion is really that uh, my opinion, I guess that this is reality also is that the the trim pass scenario is cumbersome in a lot of ways. I don't know how effective it's going to be. I'm a little concerned about that, uh, or very concerned about it, because I think it is going to be uh, a fair bit of work. I don't think today. Uh, the the technologies, the devices, the uh, processes that are available, I don't think allow for a really effective automated way to kind of convert. It's not like um, it's quite a bit different than, for example, P3 to 709. But you know, when you're doing P3 to, to 709, you're usually applying a LUT, and then you maybe make in that LUT, you might be making some overall sort of subjective decisions about how you handle, for example, gamma excursions. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, but or the white point. But, uh, you know, you're really dealing with something that works for 95% of the material, and then maybe you tweak it a little bit in the trim pass, uh, but you're making small adjustments in the trim pass. HDR grades, I feel like, are really different grades. I mean, on, a, on, a, on the same shot, maybe you could make, like, adjustments that would work, but I don't know how effective those adjustments would be from scene to scene and shot to shot, because, like what I was describing before with the idea of going from a dim scene to a bright scene and the way you would handle that in an HDR environment and the way you handle it in an SDR environment are drastically different, right? If you're doing a dim scene to a bright scene in an SDR environment, you go, you make the dim scene very low. Maybe your peak, maybe your peak white in that scene is at, you know, 45, 50 IRE, right? You, you'll have scenes that are very, very dim scenes. And then the next scene would be like, maybe would have a range of maybe zero to hundred because it's meant to be a bright daylight scene well in the in the scenario i described before your peak white is in the dim scene is maybe five six hundred nits um and you're dealing with stuff that's you know very bassy in the bottom going down to zero nits and kind of bottom heavy um and then in the next scene you're dealing with a much more compressed dynamic range because you're you know you don't want to overwhelm the audience with the brightness you're really compressing that dynamic range so you're talking about peak whites that are maybe in the same place but most of the content is in the middle or the upper middle upper or mm-hmm. lower middle probably mm-hmm. portion of the range right so uh it's different weighing you know it's like it's like making gamma adjustments from shot to shot uh and and it's not necessarily going to work so one the 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 um transformation that works for one scene will not necessarily work very effectively for another scene. So it is, it is, I think very much still up in the air and not, and not a very uh, clear answer. I think that's part of what the HLG concept is about is like, let's come up with a encoding for uh, uh, HDR images that allows for some backward compatibility. So you can have a version that works in these uh, SDR displays but is that going to be the is that version going to satisfy the people that are making the creative decisions or the colorists that are working really diligently to try and get a really precise image? I don't know. I don't think so. I don't think that's going to be a satisfactory answer. I think you're still going to make multiple passes and multiple deliverables. 
well, Juan, hey, and this has been a great, uh, great perspective on this stuff. And, um, you know, I think like, you know, you, like a lot of people and myself, especially, or just, you know, kind of getting, uh, getting into this and learning. I think that, you know, everything that you've heard here in this, uh, this podcast is obviously subject to change. You know, it's, uh, it's a very fast moving world in terms of, the display technologies and the standards and the proposals and all that kind of stuff. So, um, you know, I, I, for one, think that this is this is kind of the new frontier. I think that when I see really good HDR, and I've seen really bad HDR as well, uh, that it, it does add something to what we do as storytellers and as uh, part of the filmmaking chain. I think it does add a little bit more, you know, kind of punch and pop to things. But, you know, it, we'll, we'll see if this is taken over by... Ah, gosh, I don't know, you know, you know, too much politicalness and licensing and this and that or whether consumers just really just don't, you know, care. They're kind of like, you know, can I watch my football on Sunday? That's all I really care about. And they might not care about, you know, kind of this expanded dynamic range, but it's something to pay attention to and something I think that, you know, we're all going to have to start paying attention to, uh, you know, starting now. So, Juan, I can't thank you enough. Uh, hey, real quick, tell us um. Tell us where we can find you on the, the World Wide Web. I know, obviously, you run uh, the Color Space up in New York. What's that, uh, what's that uh, address? <laughs> it's the, like uh, T-H-E, C-O-L-O-U-R, color, like the British way. And uh, you, are, you are, of course, what, J underscore Salvo it's, at it's Twitter? It's as if you follow me. I, I do. I mean, a little obsessively. It's ridiculous. Uh, would love to have you back in a few months after I, I don't know, I kind of probably screw up everything with this project, and you can kind of deconstruct it for me and tell me. What I, did uh, I would, wrong, I would but, love nothing uh, more. No, I think yeah. you're, I think you're going to do great. And uh, you know, it's a, it's a, at this point, it's like it's so, uh, it's such the wild, wild west that they're really, you know, you can't, you can't. There yeah, is no wrong. There's no wrong. Exactly. I mean, yeah. other than like, well, at least I have that. I have that going for me. <laughs> other than making people like <laughs> making people uh, uh, sick or 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 if you experience pain, other than that, you're fine. Just avoid that, and you're going to be okay. So, on again, thanks, man. Thank you for uh, for being here uh, with us. Really appreciate it. Oh, thanks for having me, Robert. It was a pleasure.